Hello, one and all, and welcome to another episode of the What the Niche podcast. And as always, I am your illustrious host, Andrew Morris. A couple of quick things before we jump right into this week's episode. My guest from last week, Brian Rodman, is in the final days of his campaign for his comic, Memoirs of an Angel. So head on over to Kickstarter and show him some love. Next, I will be sharing a special episode of the podcast that showcases my guest for today's work. It will be a short story which is narrated by my guest today, and we will discuss at length the details of the story in this episode. If you are interested in checking it out, it'll simply pop up with the rest of my episodes. As always, please subscribe on any of the podcasting platforms to be in the know when all the new episodes drop. Also, continue to visit the store and feel free to cop some of the sweet podcast swag I have available there. I'll be dropping a dope new shirt and sticker this week, so keep a lookout for that. And one final special announcement before we rock and roll with our guest today. Recently, I was invited to join an online group called The Pandemic Players. This group is seeking to create digital theater for people to enjoy during these strange times of a pandemic. Our first production will be Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. The show is scheduled to drop sometime in early September. We will also be looking to offer free acting courses, seminars, and a plethora of other theater-related online resources in the near future. So please search for the Pandemic Players page on Facebook and give us a like so you can keep up to date with everything that's going on. And that's all the news and updates I have for this week. I love all of you and I appreciate the continued support as always. Now, it's on to the episode. This week's intro to the episode is going to be a little bit different. I will be discussing various forms of art with my guest today, including music, writing, acting, visual art, and directing. But the focus of the intro for our conversation will pay homage to friendship. Secretly, you're not a doucher. Let's play a game, all right? Mm. On the count of three, name your favorite dinosaur. Don't even think about it. Just name it. Ready? One. Two, three. Velociraptor. Favorite non-pornographic magazine to masturbate to. Good housekeeping. If you were a chick, who's the one guy you would sleep with? John John Samos. Samos. What? Did we just become best friends? Yup. And we're the three best friends that anybody could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. We're gonna do things all the time together. Just because we're not on a bachelor party doesn't mean that we can't hang out. Those of us who knew him best talk about him often. I swear the stuff he pulled. These friends of mine could use a couple of beers. And he got it. Sometimes it makes me sad, though. And being gone. I have to remind myself that some birds aren't meant to be caged. Their feathers are just too bright. And when they fly away, the part of you that knows it was a sin to lock them up does rejoice. 
but still, the place you live in is that much more drab and empty that they're gone. I guess I just miss my friend. What does it mean to be a friend? Is it someone who hangs with you at school or work? Is it someone who sends you an occasional meme? For me, friends are the foundations of my life, the pillars of my success, the safety net for my failures, the shoulders to bear my problems, the ear available to listen, the words of wisdom, the shared tears in those toughest of moments, the collective laughter which get me through the daily grind. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Tired cliches often resonate with the greatest truth, standing side by side with those I deem as worthy of the title. I find myself staring out to the horizon of my emerging present with a rosy disposition. In this adventure, there is a hand in front of me to help pull me up as I trudge through obstacles and a hand lightly resting on my shoulder, acting in silent reassurance. The journey of this life is not solitary. We take it together. Every step leaving a great mark upon history. For with each stamp I make, there are hundreds of indentions beside mine. Because friends travel through this life hand in hand. I'd like to take a second to thank a few of the people who have supported me and loved me for years. First, my wife Emily. She is a shining ray of kindness and selflessness which is unparalleled. Next, my brother Daniel, who has been one of my biggest fans my entire life. I'd also like to thank my buddy Sean Phipps for being one of my nearest and dearest friends for over 20 years. The dude is the truest embodiment of what it means to be a great friend. And last, I'd like to offer a shout out for a few others who are my ride or die friends. Dustin Sutherland, who is always there to make me laugh. Ben Fowler, who always has a wild ass story to tell. Eddie Steering, who drives me just about as crazy as my actual family. Daniel and Morgan Riley for just being a great wholesome pair of people. And John Turner, for the best snuggles and bourbon. The list of others is too long to cover, but I know all the people who are close to me know that I love them very much. Thanks to every last one of you for helping to make me the person I am. This brings me to my guest today. Eric Chavez is one of my best friends, and I think that will be very clear during our chat. He is an artist, musician, writer, director, and overall just a wonderfully creative mind. In our discussion, we cover the differences in culture and how it impacts someone who dares to exist outside the norms of everyday life. We also talk about how the creative process is something that eats at an artist forever. Overall, I thought our chat, which was the first in-person conversation I've had for the podcast, felt like a true hang with friends. 
I hope everyone enjoys this episode as much as I enjoy putting it together. And to send us off into our conversation, I'm going to share a piece of Eric's self-narrated short story, The Cat and the Hummingbird, which will be available in its entirety on the What the Niche podcast network. I took a drink from my cold craft beer and noticed the tall lanky guy walk in. He moved very stiffly, arms pinned to his side, his head slightly forward, his knees bent a little and he would look around without moving his head. His eyes shifted side to side like a cat does when a toy is being dangled in front of it. Then, with a robotic turn of his head towards our direction, his eyes began scanning the room like the T-1000 from Terminator. He was looking for someone to decimate. He was looking for John Connor. He was out to stop the hero of mankind. Or so I imagined. His cold eyes found mine and he turned the rest of his body in the direction of his head and began to make his way towards us. Hey guys. Guys! I said while nudging Kate on her arm. Kate is my girlfriend. The mother of my child. The rhythm guitar player and the keyboardist for the band. How? You're hurting my arm with your bony elbow. What is it? Asked Kate as she rubbed her small arm and gave me a look of annoyance. That weird dude that is always at our shows is coming over here. I said with a semi-loud whisper while hunched down like a kid telling his secret during lunchtime at school. Maybe he wants your autograph. Said Abe as he raised his hand to get the bartender's attention. No, seriously guys. He's coming this way. I quickly looked away and hoped that he did not see me watching him. The tall lanky guy reached us, but walked by ever so slowly. As he walked by, I got a whiff of Petrachor. Musky, fresh, yet pleasant. He sat at the other end of the wooden top the bar. He ordered himself a dark beer. As he drank, he gawked forward. The sunlight that penetrated the windows, which sat above the wall of bottles, cascaded upon him, giving him an angelic look. His dark hair shined and glistened. With the natural light on him, I can see his face clearly for the first time. It was a handsome face, clean-shaved, no scars, no stubble, a strong chin, and very captivating hazel eyes. The sunlight fought to peer through his dark beard as he took a drink, but the darkness of the beer made the light its hostage. Hello, my name is Eric Chavez, and I am one of uh, Drew's oldest and, I guess, best friends. We've known each other for almost 20 years. Way too long, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'm just here to talk about myself and things that I like to do throughout my life, or that I've done throughout my life. Yeah. That is true. Mm-hmm. And this is... Uh our this is an important episode because this is going to be the first one that I've done in person. Um, so Eric and I had been ha- hanging out anyway. Um, you know, we are two good friends to stay away from each other. I just can't quit you. 
All right, well, this podcast just ended. <laughs> well, he said he, he was one of my oldest friends, and I was like, well, how can I end this today? <laughs> but, I'm just uh, going to cough all over you. <laughs> yeah. Um, the conversation probably should feel a little bit more natural here because uh, I don't have to wait for the lag uh, on the Zoom conversations. There's oftentimes a little bit of a pause because everybody's like, are they done? Is it lagging? <laughs> so, um, but this will be... And I'm not putting them on blast or anything. Um, I just know how funny and nice, uh, how much, how good a job he can do as a conversationalist. And I told him, I was like, I want your episode to be reflective of who you really are. Um, so we tried to put him in too much of a box, I think, because Eric is somebody who's involved with a lot. Uh, he was in a heavy metal band with me. That's how we became friends. Uh, we were in our first bands, I believe, with each other-ish. First serious band. Among the Fallen was the first band. Oh, well, first serious band. Yeah. Because remember I told you I did that fucking wannabe pop, uh, pop punk band in oh, yeah. high school. We didn't couldn't, we couldn't come up with a name. And we're like, let's just call it Unknown. <laughs> unknown. The Unknowns. Ooh. <laughs> so edgy. But uh, among other things, he is also a visual artist. Uh, he... I didn't know you had that skill, much like some of the other people I've had on the podcast. You just bust that out one day. Yeah, I drew this. I'm like, <laughs> and I'm not a visual artist at all, so I'm always blown away with people that have that talent. Uh, he also creates, edits, does, uh, puts together his own music for videos, uh, writes writes his own little ideas for those, has his own YouTube channel. Um, he also just wrote a short story. Uh, one of the, the stories that he put together, The Creek Lady, Ended up on creepy pasta with I believe somewhere in the realm of like four hundred thousand views. No, it was. It's not like that. Is it not that it's crazy? Less than that. It's like a twenty thousand views. I think. You sure? Yeah, last time I checked. Okay, but I'm sure half of them are mine. Anyway. He's like, I checked right before I got in the podcast. And it's, just to correct you a little bit, it's actually called the women from the creek. Creek oh. lady was what it used to be called ah, when okay. I sent you the the story. Fair enough. Um, so he did that. Uh, he also is now writing funk music. He's wrote um, or written. Um, bluegrass style stuff. He gets influences from everybody. Uh, he is a um, does I'm a, a wild... sponge. Yes, he absorbs all the arts. Yeah, it's it's funny because like remember when I did the the wood carving. Like I oh just... yeah, <laughs> I just showed up one day and he's got little figurines on his thing and I was like, what are these? He's like, oh, some stuff I carved. I'm like, well, fuck. What else are you gonna do? Well, I got obsessed with it because I was watching a bunch of those like on Facebook. They just like recommendations i don't know how I've, like people wood carving and i just found it interesting i always just found machinery interesting so like when i see people like make shit on a lathe or whatever i'm like i want to do that yeah it is pretty cool you would probably like um oh shit uh nick offerman nick mm. offerman yeah, is yeah. a is a pretty a, damn good a, woodworker yeah, yeah. but um, like i was like i want to carve something so like i got on amazon and bought me like a like starter kit like carving tools and some like blocks of wood whatever and i got it the day it came in i was like oh, what, what am i gonna carve i didn't even like read instructions or nothing i was just like i'm gonna start start carving and then i go <laughs> and like i was like, i started carving i was like i don't know what the fuck i'm doing i just kept doing it until i got the the shape of a chalice whatever and i just kept working on it like i'd <clears throat> never taken any wood class or anything like i just i don't know i guess it's just one of the things like i want to try it out so it 
it kind of follows the same trajectory. You're self-taught as far as guitar for the most part. I think you've taken a couple lessons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just that you'd like the discovery of the process. Is is that what you just I like guess. to find your own way, I guess? I guess. I just never really had a thing. I just, I guess, I mean, guitar for the longest was my thing. But yeah. I, got, I got bored with it. And I just like, I think when I started getting bored with that, I mean, I've always drawn and stuff like in high school and middle school, like I always like drawing or some sort of art. But um, when I got bored with guitar, I was like, I don't I got to do something. Like most people like, you know, they, they're a guitar player or whatever. And that their whole life is that, you know, yeah. they'll, they'll do something with it. And that's what mine was. That's what my life was for like up to like, I was age 26, 27 when I was like, all right, I'm not taking this shit serious anymore. And then I was just like, ah, just, just picked up a little dumb shit here and there. Uh, like as far as like short stories, I've always written short stories, but I never took them serious until recently when I got just was like, ah, I'm gonna write a short story. I think it's cause I wrote a book and I was like, oh dude, like. I want to write a short story again and i just started writing a short story and um that's when i was trying to write an actual novel for the first time <laughs> i was like here i've never written a novel in my life but i'm gonna try it anyways and i got up to like 14 chapters i was like yeah i think i'm done <laughs> just that's it that's it <laughs> i was like i hit a block like a wall and i was like all right i'm done just release it that way and just have people lose their fucking shit they're like what what the fuck this is bull well um Let's dive right into, um, you know, because I'm curious to see what sort of things that people might think about you. Uh, and, of course, you, I have to give you a shout out. You did have a, we we have an ongoing joke that uh, whenever I talk about the podcast, Eric will be like, uh, did you tell him that I wrote that opening song, though? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, fuck the conversation about well, whatever's going on in this world over the person's life. I want to know if they say anything about that intro. What about that intro, though? <laughs> now it's like an ongoing joke you know we'll uh we're at a restaurant or something and I'll, I'll leave it on the receipt go to what the niche and check out the intro that's all that matters this guy wrote it yep just check out the first 20 seconds and the last 20 seconds of the the, the podcast that's right those are the two best like parts everything else. but um <clears throat> i'm curious like what do people maybe assume about you or what presumptions do they make about you because you are so involved in the arts and you've done so many different and had so many different creative outlets. Do people assume things about you because of that? Uh, and if we're talking about it on a personal level, uh, they probably look at me like I'm a selfish person. I think I say that because when the person doesn't have any kind of, they're not, they don't have that creative outlet or they don't have, like if the person just doesn't understand, they're just going to look at you like you're selfish and you don't care about, um, their needs or whatever and you're just like oh you're spending money on dumb shit or you know well you're wasting your time on this or you should be focused on this i'm like that's just not me like i'm sure people who uh you know like have like i, I guess i call it because we're talking about on your podcast a niche and they're they're they devote their whole time on that and to them it's like or to me it's like no this is uh, like if i can sit down and and do this for hours that's what I, that's what makes me happy it's not that i'm like don't care what's going on around me i just i'm like at that moment i'm just i just i'm just myself so i think it's like maybe people like they think i'm i'm just wasting time i guess because they they don't understand most like if a person doesn't understand the arts or uh, any creative outlet whatever they're, they're never gonna understand so i think most people like growing up or uh doing a lot of music stuff and they probably just like 
I was wasting time or not doing the right thing. Yeah. I, you know, for me, you know, having been in a relationship with the same person for such a long time, I, I do benefit from the fact that, you know, she kind of understands the, the, uh, the coming and going because she was with me the entire time we were in a band, which that's extraordinarily time consuming. If you're going to do it right. You well, know, it's, it's not just being with in a relationship, it's just, it's growing up in a, you know, family, the, well, with parents that, that grew up in a more strict kind of environment. Like, you know, you know, my dad, like, you've, you, you know, how, how so let's, let's front load this a little bit. So for those that don't know, Eric, uh, his name is Eric Chavez. Mm-hmm. Uh, his family is originally from Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and so can't help myself. Sorry. <laughs> he's like, I have to be funny. Um, but yeah, he comes from, you know, a different upbringing, you know, and I've, I do know his parents and, uh, we'll have to share a funny story about his father later. It's one of my favorite stories. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because I came from a very different upbringing uh, where both of my parents were always really supportive of the artistic things that I did, you know, whether that be choir, whether that be in a band and things of that nature. And always, I didn't necessarily feel bad, but I just noticed that there was a difference for you. Well, it's not like they were like, you can't fucking do this or you can't, uh, we don't want you to play music. I mean, my dad bought me my first electric guitar, but I think it's, it's when you... Uh, I, I think it's when they noticed, I was like, well, I mean, I went to college for like a year and a half, I think, or a year. And I at that time I was playing in, uh, I think, the White Lotus or whatever, we're doing the thing. And I was like, I just want to do music. I just want to do music. That's all I wanted to do. But I think it's like, um, to them, it was like, dude, it's like you're, like, we didn't sacrifice everything just, you know, because I guess to them, it was like, hey, what the fuck is he doing? He's just wasting his time. He's just, you know, he need, you need to do this. Like, because I mean, when you grow up in a family where they they came from a, a a different country to to give us a better life or whatever, and I guess them is I was I was throwing that away because I wasn't doing what they I guess they they uh, sacrificed. Like I'm trying to explain this the easiest way possible because so it's, it's a very personal thing. Their it's, definition of success was different from what it's you, like. We couldn't we were we were giving you something that we couldn't have. Right. And and I guess when they when they saw that I was just like not taking that path they wanted me to take, they were like they it's not it's not like they were like um you know, constantly like getting on me about stuff or like putting me down. It was just more like I just felt I just felt disappointment because I was just kinda like, I'm not gonna do that. Like my passion is music. Like that's what I wanted. I was so you know how deep I was into it. Yeah. Um so it's it's just it was I don't know. I'm, you know, I think I'd have, uh, I don't. Know. It's it's just hard for me to talk about because it's very personal and um, not many people know about um, about that because I just don't bring it up because I I get it from their standpoint, but I don't think they still get it because I mean like I, I just feel like I let them down. I still feel like that sometimes because I'm just like I'm a not working a fucking you know a factory job and now I'm just like oh I did all that shit in my twenties and. You know, I should have done this. I should have done that. And that's when I started seeing, like, yeah, I think I, I I get now why I should have, why they were so hard on me about it. <clears throat> so it's, um, I don't know. I think, I think it's uh, when you look at the differences between the cultures, uh, you look 
the American dream and things of that nature. It's it's so different from so many different places. You know, you come here and the the notion is that you can do whatever you want to do. And you know, in a, lo- a lot of other places, you know, you just start working early and the culture is that it's ingrained in there and the arts are seemingly kind of secondary. You know, I don't think you see quite what you see here in America where people will go to Hollywood and sleep in their fucking car like James Cameron did, you know, before he got Terminator greenlit or, you know, Joan Osborne. That's an obscure reference. Jewel. There's a lot of different people who have that similar story where they're like, I'm going to give up everything and pursue this thing. And you didn't give up everything, but you definitely put some other things on the back burner, as did I. You know, I didn't go back to college until I was 30. You know, I spent all of my 20s doing the things I wanted to do, you know, and I don't see that as failure, you know, because much like you, I'm into the arts. You know, I I don't do the visual thing, but I think the pursuit of doing things that make me feel happy inside, you know, intrinsically rewarding are the things that I want to pursue the most. You know, I didn't take much fulfillment from working a factory job nine to five. That wasn't fulfilling to me, and I'm not shitting on anybody that does that. And, you know, it is a necessary means to an end and helps you provide for your family and stuff of that nature. But I think some people that are, like you said, that are on the outside of that, they might not necessarily understand that. Or are you going to go spend five hours on a Saturday in a living room with four other dudes uh, who smell like they forgot to wear the deodorant? (laughs) That's the thing, man. It's like, it's just one of the things that's... uh... They, they, the person will never understand. It doesn't. If if it, you don't have to be a, I mean, you can be a musician, a, a artist, a painter, or a sculptor, or whatever. You're always gonna have that passion. But when people look at you from the outside, like I told you this other day when I posted that short story on Facebook, I was like, nobody gives a fuck. I was like, all these views and not one like. And you were just kind of like, dude, you know, like I started thinking. I was like, well, I was like, not everybody's gonna give a fuck. Yeah. You know, like maybe I should just take the fact that a oh, hundred and something people looked at it at least. You know what I'm saying by like. It should go deeper than that. You should take. You you have to do things for you. If you're not doing it for you, then it, you have to ask yourself why. You know, a lot of these people. I think that's why certain commercial films will fail uh, because there's no heart in it. You know, a lot of times people are just like, "Well, this is a thing." You know, become it can become a product, uh, commercializing it, it. You know, that's. One of the downfalls of art, it's it's unfortunate. I feel like you steal the soul out of it when you do that, and a lot of times that becomes the thing. So if you're doing it, and I know for a fact that you enjoyed writing this new short story, which we got to give a, a little shout out to it. It's called Cats and Hummingbirds, right? The Cat and Hummingbird. The you Cat. Get and my the... shit right, dude. Sorry, bro. The oh, Cat. Dude. You changed the name on me a couple of times, so <laughs> it's only fair. Um, but yeah, as he worked through the process, you know, and these things, they are. I won't say selfish in nature, um, but it does require isolation for a lot of things. Uh, If you're going to do music well, uh, if you're going to be an actor, you have to, at some point, you got to close yourself up in a room and work, you know? And I I think the reason I took it that way is because I I told you before, I was like, uh, I've written music, I don't know, I don't know how long. And every time I write something, I get excited about it. So, mm-hmm. like, of course, I'm like, I, I'm going to show it to everybody else. So, like, over years, I've had, like, I've, I've written songs and I've shared them. And I'm asking a, a, this person, it's like, hey, check this out. Uh, give me your thoughts on it. And I don't get a response back. 
And the reason I shared it with that person is because I looked, I, I don't want to say I looked at, I looked to them, looked to them, I looked up to them a certain way. It was just because I knew they were, you know, in a certain level as, as being a musician. I was like, I wanted to get their opinion. And when they don't fucking respond back, you know, it's, it's a low blow because it's like, at least be like, you know, I didn't really like it, but I think it has this or it has some sort of potential. But when somebody doesn't say nothing back, it's, it's, it sucks, especially when you've been doing it for so long and like, you don't you don't get a feedback when you share it with somebody you you think that they're going to at least, um, you know, give you some sort of feedback and they don't, it's, it's a, it sucks. So when I posted that story, I was just kind of like, I, I thought it was good, but I think it's good because I wrote it, but then I got, you read it and my brothers read it and um, my other friend read it and they're like, Oh, it's good. You know? But then again, I'm like, Oh, they were just being nice because they're my friends. So like when I posted it, it's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm putting it out to the pub, putting it out to the public and like nobody gives a fuck. I'm just kind of like, ah, oh, fuck it, dude. Like, you know, you almost want to be like, I don't, I'm done doing that. You know what I mean? So it's, it's and, tough because when you keep those things close to the chest, you know, because you're you're so insulated in that thing because it is your thing, especially something that you completely created from nothing, like a story. You you start with a blank page. <clears throat> it's literally one of the most daunting and terrifying things as a writer is to start with that blank page. That fucking, like the first sentence yeah. is the hardest thing to come up with. It really is. You erase start, it a hundred times. Like, I, Fuck that yeah, sucks. I was starting writing another one the other day and I was like, okay, I know, I, I know what I want the first half of the story to be. And I'm like, I'm like, nah, I don't like that. Dilly, dilly. And I'll, I don't like. I'm fucking. I'm done with this. You know, like because it's it's the hardest thing. They say that the the in order to capture the reader, you have, the first sentence of the story has to be, the, you know, like the the most like got to cat. Yeah, it's got to catch you. Uh, yeah, and you know, and I think it's it's easy to forget. You know, having been so in the you know the production of art and being so inside the creative process for so long, like you have. It's oftentimes it's easy to forget that people are busy, you know. I, and I don't I think anybody that. means any negative <clears throat> things towards you. They're not like, "Oh, it's fucking Eric again, Jesus, <laughs> another thing he's well, doing." You have to understand, like, like you said, um, I've always done something, mm-hmm. like music, videos, or art, or drawings, or, uh, or or wood carving, whatever, and I've always shared it with people. There's not been one thing where I'm like, "Oh, I'm going to keep this to myself so nobody can see it," you know. It's, it's never been like that. I just always put it out there, and like I was just kind of like when after I didn't really get any reactions from it, I was like, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna post anything anymore. I think I'm just gonna create a log of stories for myself, and maybe one day I'll, I'll send them out, and hopefully they get published into a book or something. Like that's what I thought because I was like, well, fucking Facebook is like the worst outlet for that, you know. And um, Facebook was, is the worst outlet for a lot of things right yeah. now, like uh, promoting this podcast. You know, I I use it. <laughs> Uh, and I, I can't be real upset because I, I have had um, some great responses. So you just kind of have to take it in stride. Um, but, you know, I, I spent money to have it advertised and things of that nature. You know, and it's like I get 500 people look at it, but nobody interacts with it. I mean, I get it. I, th- I think a lot of it has to do with, um, I mean, because you, you, like you, you can be a, a guitar player and, and just play guitar. But when you start getting into the things of like writing your own music, like the drums, the bass, the, you know, if you want to put keys or some kind of other uh, sounds or some uh, 
different percussion or, or some you know, strings or whatever. And when you start learning and, and really putting that stuff together, it's a lot of work. Even though I do it on my fucking iPhone, like that's because I'm not going to, sp- I don't want to spend money. I, I, I should, because I mean, I enjoy the process of it, but it's like the way I do it is I, re- I record the shit on my phone. Then I'll either take it to J- uh, Chase or Josh or whatever. Like, hey, I want to record this song in an actual, like, you know, recording program and with mics and stuff like that. But I think it's when, when you do all that work and you blast it out there and nobody's like, huh. You're like, I don't, we don't give a fuck about this. It's like, well, fuck, dude. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I've been doing that for for so many years. If I did it for like a week or two weeks, I'm like, all right, whatever. But like, uh, most of the people on my Facebook know that I've brought music or whatever. And it's like, they don't even give a fuck. So I'm just like, I'm done sharing that shit on Facebook. And so, and it's not that I'm like being like, pay attention to me. It's just like, for it some is. No, it's not. Just fuck up. God, I'm done with this. Bye. <laughs> just storms up. <laughs> Uh, so it's like I told you the other day it's like this is your uh, your most creative thing you've done since I've known you your podcast like you've done plays and stuff like that but this is something you created plays is something you're just you know yeah uh, I just have my role re- yeah you're just acting out on <clears throat> so this is like the first thing you've you've put together you thought of and you did the whole work you did the hard work for it and you, now you're doing it so like if I can understand if you did it for like years, all of a sudden you're like not getting anything. Then I can see you. I, I can see you going like, well, fuck, dude. Like, is this like, am I, is this not me anymore? So that's what it was for me with the guitar. I was just kind of like, or with music in general, I was just kind of like, I don't think this is me anymore. You know, I was just kind of like, I'm, I think I'm done with it, which has pretty much been like that now. I'm just like, I don't I have no interest really in playing music as much anymore. Um, I'll pick up the acoustic. And like play for like twenty minutes, like right, I'm done with it. it. Before it was like, oh dude, I can't wait to get home and pl- fucking play guitar after high school or whatever. Like I literally spent like four to five hours every day after high school. It's like same thing when I used to skateboard in uh, middle school and like ninth and sophomore year in high school. I was like, oh, I can't wait to get off of school and go skateboard. But I'm just kind of like I'm done with it. Cause just cause it's like, <clears throat> um, it's a lot of work, man. Like, uh. Because when you write something, when you write music, you don't want to write something that you've either like, oh, this sounds like something I wrote already, or this sounds like this, or this sounds like that. Oh, this, you know, like, so you're just kind of like, you start start putting yourself in a box, Mm -hmm. like a one you can't get out of, because like you're scared to write something that it's already been done, at least for me, because it's really hard to write something that's original. It it can be an original that you wrote it, like you, you wrote the song. But as far as the sound goes, it's hard to be original because yeah. there's so much fucking shit out there, a lot. So it's like when me, me and you that we listen to music. I listen to music every day. So when like I'll, I'll sit there and write a riff. I'm like, oh, it sounds good. But when I listen to the pack, I was like, I've heard this before. And the reason it happens is because in your brain, somewhere in your brain, in that library of fucking riffs or whatever that you've heard, it's just it, you know you are like you can your brain just kind of like flips through it. And you're like, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I've heard that riff. Yeah. So it's really hard. And then you start you start putting yourself down on uh, how your music's written. Yeah, you know me. I've always put myself down. I'll fucking go home on a weekend or after practice. I'm like, oh, I wrote this riff. And I showed the next practice. Man, let's work on this riff. And we're like halfway through the song. I don't fucking like this riff anymore. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, I don't know, man. Like, But really, I think it's just... Uh, I think... It re- <sighs> I think sometimes with truly like 
multi multifaceted people that are involved in multiple things. The the creative process for them a lot of times satisfaction becomes complacency. So if if you were to ever say to yourself, "Yep, that's perfect. I love that." Um, to a degree, that's great. But to another side of that, you can maybe stop striving to be better. You know, and it's like people that are, you know, take The Rock, for instance. You know, that dude's always pushing the level of his workouts and things of that nature, pushing the level of what he's going to do next. Uh, Kevin Hart, you know, some of those people that are super driven, Jocko Wilnick, uh, David Goggins. How much, how much muscle does The Rock need? Well, that's the thing. Like, it's like why? It's never going to be enough. That's why he is as big as he is, because it never was enough. So those are the people like David Goggins. You know, he's ran these ultra marathons and stuff like that. If you're not familiar with who he is, he's a... Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't run. He's been on... Yes. <laughs> but he's always pushing himself to do this next crazy thing, you know, or being involved in something new. You know, I'm going to write a book or whatever, you know, much like a lot of really driven people do. And I think as, as a good artist or somebody who is a... Uh, great creative mind you always have to push yourself to say okay well this is cool but what's the next thing that i can do uh or how do i do the said thing that i'm doing now better you know you listen back to this i do that with every episode that i create i'm like well that that episode i felt was was decent but how can i make the next intro good what techniques can i learn to do whatever or acting or anything I i think what will make your next intro good is if you play my song in loop yeah, you're right. Just, just for now just right. that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, I think I think with me, like, yeah, I've always pushed myself to do do better than before. Um, but I think uh, I, I don't know, man. I think uh, I think a lot of the reason why I just quit really focusing so much on music was because it's just like. The last band I played with, like the last real, like full band I played with, was back in 2011, and uh, I I ended up leaving that band because personal reasons. Um, but I think a lot of the reason why I stopped playing music was because I just I didn't have that support anymore. You know, what I mean, like support as far as like uh, I couldn't I couldn't find the people that I was like I was looking for the same personalities that I was so used to playing with. So it just made it I, like, I don't want to fucking play with this dude. I don't fucking know this guy. And so just being like, oh, that's cool, man. Like, I get to meet somebody, maybe learn from him or whoever it was. <clears throat> so, and when I mean by support, too, it's like not to get too much detail because it's I'm not going to because it's uh, being with a person that doesn't understand how the musician, how a musician mind thinks. It's it's not hard. It's just it's like, well, fuck. Like I I can't like I can't. I don't want to do this because I don't want this person to be upset. Or I, you know, it's not the decisions that I made as when I was uh, in a relationship weren't selfish. Really, like it wasn't like fuck this. I don't give a fuck. It was just more like this will make me happy. This will make me. This will can can push me to to. To keep writing music, it was never like I don't, I don't, I don't care what you think. Yeah, you know, I was like, you can tell me all you want, but I'm still going to do whatever the fuck I want. And it was never like that. It was just more like I want this because it's this is what makes me happy. Yeah, you know, like yeah, yeah I'm gonna spend some money, but I, I'm not. 
spending the money to be an asshole. I'm, you know, this is going to make me happy. You know, like that's just my mindset, and it's it's not something you can just switch off. It's something that if you've done for so long, it's not like, okay, you know, I, I get it. I'm fucking done with it. Let me just throw my shit out. Yeah, you can't do that. You know, it, not just with the music. I'm sure many people have had that issue with you know being a whatever your thing is. You know, I can imagine like being like a true writer where you're constantly having to fucking lock yourself down to to write shit to to put something out. I can only imagine what the, those people have to go through with in relationships or not just with uh, a spouse. Or, you know, right. it could be with like your your brothers or your yeah. sister. You know, like it, it affects everybody. But mm-hmm. it's most it's because they don't understand. If they don't like that, that's why like I get jealous of like when I see couples that like they're both musicians. Mm. Of course, they're gonna fucking get along so well because they understand what music's all about. You know, yeah. like or artists. Uh, yeah, Braxton, uh, which is a mutual friend of ours. You know, Braxton Gaither and <clears throat> Colleen. Uh, they are both artists. I had them both on the podcast. Colleen's. Every time I see their picture, I'm like, oh, dude, like it's just it's one of the things you're like, I wish I had that. Yeah, you know what I mean. But because you know, my wife doesn't always necessarily understand when I first started this uh, endeavor. Like you said, this is probably the most creative thing that I've done as far as it all being mine. Yeah, everything. Uh, the ideas for the logos, of course, the execution was from Braxton. The the idea for the song, I gave you the vibe I wanted you. I uh, came in, but that's it. Everything else I did. So it was hard for Emily to understand why I'm in this office creating this thing for 10 hours a day. You know, some days when I first started, you know, I was interviewing people. It's a lot people. of fucking work, dude. It is. The editing <clears throat> of it and, you know, and doing the intros. I'm writing scripts for every single episode because I want those intros. I feel like I deserve or the person, the guest that comes on. At this point, I've set a standard to give them a love letter for their niche. That's that's how I'm looking at it. Like I want them to feel like I captured why they're so passionate about that thing, and so I, I feel like I have a service to do. And sometimes for somebody that isn't involved in something like this, you know, she's a teacher, so she we both teach, so she clearly understands that, and that's great to have somebody that you can talk to and be have intimate knowledge of each other uh, in that way. And that comes back to what you were talking about being in a band and switching bands. People, uh, sometimes I don't think as an outsider, if you haven't been in a band or something to that effect, um, it's an intimate relationship. You're really close with those people. They become your family. Mm -hmm. You see them a lot. At least that's how it should be in a successful band. Um, you should, you know, really care about each other. And, you know, we hung out all the time, you know, when we were in a band, it was like, we would hang out for hours. Like, you know, that weekend was going to be banned, you know, and we just knew it. And sometimes it was hard, you know, our better halves wouldn't always understand. And it's difficult. Yeah. Cause before I'm just kind of like, all right, fuck it. Let's, you know, let's date. And it's a relationship. It's all, you know, it's fun. And, but now it's like, instead of just being like, oh, I, I want to be in a relationship. Now I was like, I want to be in a relationship where I can be myself. Which means like, I want to be able to lock myself in a room for eight hours because I'm, I've written a riff or I, I'm drawing something or I'm playing a fucking video game with friends that I made or, or whatever without having to feel bad for it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to feel 
that my me being creative is causing an issue. You know, I, and I'm not saying that's what all the issues were, but I don't I don't want to feel like that because even growing up doing the whole music thing, you know, instead of going to college or whatever, I've always felt like that. Like I felt like everything that I did was gonna piss off my parents or whoever. And um, that's so fucking metal, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was go- going out shooting needles every day and Shoot, getting, shooting needles, shooting, you throwing needles in the air, <laughs> heroin up my my arms, and he's gonna hit it with his buckshot. Throw a needle that. up. But it's not just it, all this doesn't just stem from from a relationship with whoever, you know. It's just it's it's from growing up in a in a going back to you saying a, a different culture from you or you know it's like they were like it's 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 a more strict culture as far as like you know you you got to do this it wasn't like you you can't go out you can't go out with your friends it was not like that. it was more like you need to you need to make sure you get your education you work that was pretty much it you know like it's so uh even though my dad did buy me my first electric guitar which if it wasn't for him i probably would never be playing electric guitar at all right. um so I, in that sense of it like oh my son likes music you know, he wants an electric guitar. I'm gonna go buy him a guitar, and um, but growing up in a household where it wasn't like the normal, I guess, where you know, like locking yourself in the room and fucking blasting Blink One Eight Two while you're sitting playing your shitty amp and playing along with it until like for hours, and then never once came in the room and said like, "You need to shut this shit off." Right. You know. So, um, but I think it's when I started becoming more of a, 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 a an adult where I was like. I need to do the right things uh, that they expect me to do. It was hard for me because it's like I knew like every time I go out and um, like there was times I would fucking leave class early in college to go hang out with you guys or or, you know, uh, with the girlfriend I had then or whatever. Like I will always ditch school to go do something that I'd rather be doing this for anything that involved music. Uh, So we're. I'm, I'm probably getting sidetracked because there's so much like I'm tr- like my brain's like trying to like think of all this shit because like I'm trying to explain to you the the best way how I grew up because it wasn't like a it wasn't like a, a shitty upbringing at all no that was not the issue at all it was it was the yeah. best food for sure <laughs> yeah that was the only reason I love my parents <laughs> yeah. they taught him a lot he can sling it down in the kitchen son but it, it's it's um. I guess the bottom the, the bottom line of this is when you grow up in a non-American culture where you come from if if you're not from like if you come from outside of America where from especially like a country from Mexico where it's like it's so labor driven mm-hmm. like you have to fucking work every day to make you wake up at fucking four o'clock in the morning and you get done work until like eight o'clock or eight or nine at night. So does it burden you knowing that you're the laziest Mexican? Like how does that weigh on you? <sighs> <laughs> hey, I'm just living the, the the American dream, all right. Right. That's why my parents came here so I can live this live this dream, right? They're like, God. so I can be a lazy American. They're like McDonald's again, <laughs> Jesus fuck, we get it, uh, you love it here. But at the same time, I, my parents didn't want us to do that. You know what I mean? Like they didn't want us to be fucking busting our ass. You know, like I'm I'm not, but I have a a, a decent job. You know, uh, is it what I want to do? No. But it's what I fell back on because everything that I wanted to do didn't go through, you know. Um, so um, that's why um, I think the, the my 
uh, my dad had the hardest, I think the hardest time accepting that I was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. <clears throat> and, um, uh, I, I just remember always feeling like, not in a state of uh, fear, but more like a state of like, I don't, I, fuck, my dad's going to fucking say something to me. Like, I, I always felt like he was going to say something to me about, like, just to have a reason to be mad at me about something. Like, that's what, I, that's what I always felt. And, um, and it was pretty much like that. Like, when I was living with my parents, it's like, oh shit, it's almost, fuck, he's about to be home. Like, I don't want to be in the same room as him because he's going to fucking say something. That's kind of how it was because I know he was pissed because I'm like, dropping out of college. I owe a bunch of money, you know, so I, you know, and I let him down. And it, it was just a constant state of feeling disappointed. Like, I, I, like I felt the disappointment in the room. And I mean, I could be wrong because, it, you know, it's not like we ever sat down and had a hard, uh, had a heart to heart because he's not that type of man. He's an old school, you know, fucking Mexican. So he's like, I'm a, I'm a fucking man. I'm a, I'm a macho. So we got to we got to get the story that perfectly encapsulates the very thing you're saying. So I'm in Eric's. We're in the band. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite story. Um we're in the band still, and uh, he has me over. He's got his little uh, small practice amp. It's not super loud, but loud enough. And uh, it's like 2 or 3 in the morning. Yeah. Uh, we're in his basement, and uh, he still lives at home. And uh, he's having me over. Dude, you got to come over and check out this new song I wrote. I'm like, okay. Who the fuck does that? <laughs> yeah, you just... Come over and check out this riff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's that uh, passion that he's talking about, you know. And he was like, "Come on over," and I was like, "All right, man." <laughs> so I worked second shift, so I stayed up late anyway. So it was fine. So I dipped over there, and he's playing it. And um, like a ninja. Oh, that was amazing. Sorry, dude, I, had, Ooh. I had too many Bloody Marys, and I'm <laughs> but uh, you know, we're sitting there, and like a ninja, like a phantom. We never even heard a door open, anything. <laughs> and we turn, and behind us is his dad standing there in nothing but his underwear. And <laughs> he just looks at me and Eric and he's like, Are you crazy? You know, <laughs> which is a fair question because his dad, you know, has to get up at six or seven or whenever, you know, because he's working, you know, a typical, typical job. He runs the, uh, the place that Eric works at. Um, and we both just, I was like, all right, man, I think I'm going to go home. Uh, even as like, I think at that point I was like 25 and his dad scared the shit out of me. Well, he's just a very like, you know, a stern person. Like, I mean, now he's, he's more, you know, he's more humble and I mean, he's always been a humble person. Like he always, you know, offered whatever food or, or yeah, whatever the, the Ooh, thing was. Chicarrones. Chicharrones. 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 The fuck is wrong with you? Man, listen. Is it the... Am I do, arritos? Arritos? Arritos. Arritos. That's right, right? Yeah. See, you taught me a little something. Yeah. Yeah. My but, white ass is... All right. Bo- the bottom line is, my dad's a good dad. He's always been an awesome dad. He always gave us what we what, what we needed. Mm-hmm. He's, he, he did what he had to do to give us a life here. And I've always been thankful for that. But it's... We just... It, he doesn't show. He shows you that he cares and loves for you in a whole different way than what your parents did. You yeah, know, it, it was never like here's a hug, son. I love you, God. And, you know, mm, good job, sport. It wasn't anything like that. Watch it was your- just more like here you go. You know, like yeah. Um, 
It's the same thing with my mom. I mean, my mom's more a little bit more open with her feelings and stuff, but she also is kind of, you know, uh, Mexican culture driven where her mindset's like, pay your fucking bills, you know, blah, blah, blah. And God, my mom used to get in my nerves with that shit, dude. Like, anytime I bought something new, she's like, huh? Is that what you're <laughs> spending your money on? I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, I fucking work for this. You you guys wouldn't buy this shit for me, so I'm going to buy it for myself. You know, it's it, it was just that thing where it's like, anytime that I was spending money on something, it's like, oh, you need to save your money, but, uh, which I wish I would have listened. Yeah. <laughs> but at the that. same time, it's like, all right, dude, like, I'm doing this because it's something for me. You know, you don't understand. I need this fucking cab. I need this fucking head. I need this uh, guitar or, or whatever the fucking thing was that I bought. So it wasn't like I was just spending money to spend money. I was spending money to make me a better musician or, or make me happy. But overall, my parents have always been amazing parents. I've always been there. My dad's helped me out a lot. Um, my mom's helped me out, you know, the way she can because she hasn't worked a fucking job in 40 years because, uh, you know, being, again, from a Mexican culture, the man's always providing, you know, everything on the table where you're not going to work. I'm sure if my mom wanted to, she would she would have loved to work to get out of the house or do whatever but she, i mean I, i'm sure my mom always loved taking care of us i'm sure she had days where she was like oh fuck i don't want to do this no more fuck these dirty ass kids <laughs> you know she had she had to raise fucking five kids while my dad went to work yeah you know i mean my dad took us on vacation he took us to disneyland and uh you know typical dad stuff and so it's not like he was like, fuck you guys. I'm, you know, go work and pull fucking weeds out of the grass or out of the ground or whatever. I mean, we still had chores and stuff like that. Um, but he never stopped us from hanging out with people, our friends and stuff. He was never like, no, you're going to stay here and read a fucking book or whatever it was. You know, he always let us, he gave us our freedom because yeah. he, he understood that that's, I guess he understood that's what we needed, but we still respected everything he wanted under his roof. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm not talking bad about them at all. Um, there was just some things that I did that I knew that disappointed them. And I'm sure now they're like, all right, maybe they get it, maybe they still don't. Um, but Why is that? It's almost aggravating to a point because, you know, I'm 37. Oh. And I just did, you know, three shows in the last year. <clears throat> and my mom missed one of them. And boy, that sucked. You know, there was like 50 of my friends that came out, mad support. Uh, if you ever have friends who do creative things, always support them because I promise it means a lot. But man, I will never stop wanting the support of my mom. Of course, my dad's not here anymore. So it's like, there's always like this kid in me that always wants that approval from her as a parent. You know, I... I I guess that'll probably never go away because if it hasn't went away yet. But what, what makes you what, what's so aggravating about my parents not doing that? No, I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying in in my case, I guess there you know it's uh, another side of that coin. You know, you I guess you've grown accustomed. Like, did your parents ever come to any of our concerts? <laughs> come on, dude. I didn't think so. Do you really think? I didn't think so. My dad only the only like real American music he listens to is country. Like yeah. he likes like Hank Williams and Johnny Cash and all that shit. God, that would have made it so fun. But it, I think it's because it's closer to the music he grew up listening to. Yeah, you know, like the the like I guess the folk like you know Mexican music. Um, you really think? I hey, think Dad, he... Mom, you want to come to a, to a death metal show where you fucking have your ears bleeding by the time you leave and you can't understand a fucking word and you might get hit in the face by somebody <laughs> and yeah, come to that. 
<laughs> but my parents. it's like it's like when the first time we were ever on the radio oh, uh, yeah. when LRS was still around, I had strep throat. I was laying on the couch, and I remember I think you called me and said, "Hey, we're gonna be on the radio." Blah. I'm like, "Okay, I'll check it out." It was like mid. I think it was like close to yeah. Like, it was late at. <laughs> Thanks for that ear bleed. Sorry. Um, so I was like laying on the couch with strep throat, and I remember I think it was "Touch Her Again" and "I Kill You" was on the radio. Yeah, I was like. I told my mom and dad, and you know, it was like a four, four and a half minute long song. And I just looked at them, and nothing. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> to me, it's like, oh, fuck, I'm on the radio. To them, it's like, well, we heard nothing but noise, pretty much. You know, I was like, <laughs> like what the fuck are they going to, they can't understand. Like, you know, it's, it, they don't have the ear for that music. So, yeah. You know, my mom was like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> and my dad was probably like, hmm. <laughs> and just went and like went back to just to bed or whatever, and but it's not like I mean, imagine my parents being at a fucking one of our shows. Honestly, that would be like so honestly, crazy. You, like think about that, dude. Oh man, that's never gonna happen. I, I guess if I played more of like a softer type, well, my music, mom and her acid washed jeans would come. I mean, <laughs> I love you, mom. Uh, but yeah, she would come and like she would get rowdy. That motherfucker tried to punch me in the face in the side of the pit. And I was like, well, mom, that's what happens. And your dad was, like, was always just chilling. Yeah, my dad same just... shirt, cigarettes in his pocket, same blue jeans, same new balances. And a UK hat. Well, I guess that's how our day is around here. Why did I just sound like Morgan Freeman? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why you turn with that Andy Dufresne up there on that stage singing his heart out. <laughs> that's totally my dad. But yeah, like he would come and, you know, the greatest thing that he ever said was uh, he saw... Uh, show that we did at Expo Five, and I come off the stage, and uh, you know I, I'll never forget it. You know he's like, he's like, man, I've seen you guys so many times, and he's like, you guys were rock stars tonight, and I was like, Jesus, I just hugged my dad. I was like, you don't know how much that means to me, and uh, you know because my dad was like, he was into rock. And he got into like dad rock, but he liked System of a Down and stuff like that. Yeah. Like my dad liked Stained and System of a Down, but he never got into like, uh, like real death metal stuff. Like they're toward the end of that band. We were really progressive. BX three, right? BX three, yeah. yeah. Barry but breathing. Uh, we were really. Uh, our guitar player was really getting into Nile, uh, and they were really into like Necrophagist. So our music was really heavy. Um, but my dad, you know, he had heard some of the things that we listened to and he's like, you guys sound just as good as those other bands that you listen to. That's cause he had the ear for, for rock. You know, yeah. I think it's just, it's cause I mean, when I first started listening to like hardcore metalcore music, I, I was like, what the fuck is this shit? Yeah. You know, like it took me a while for my ear to get used to. I was listening to like the heaviest thing I was listening to was Metallica. Right. And then like, you know, like I was listening to like punk or whatever. So but when I first started listening to that kind of music, I was like, the fuck? It was such a weird sound to me. Like, yeah. not a bad sound. It was like the first time I heard uh, Chop Suey by System of a Down. I'm like, my brother Alex is like playing it. We were, when we all used to share a room together, like, uh, he would play it. I'm like, what the fuck is this? You know, it was one of the things. It's like, it's the same thing when I heard like Rob Zombie. I was like, I'm playing Twisted Metal 3. I was like, what is this? Like, I like it. So, like, it was the same thing with that. Like, I think the first like metalcore album I listened to was End of Heartache. Oh yeah, because I got introduced kind of late to metalcore, like in two thousand three ish. To the end of two thousand. It's funny that you say late. You know, depending well, depending on the listener. Well, <laughs> it was early in the in the 
that era of music. Yeah. But late for me. Right. Because people were already like, oh, I fucking listen. I've been listening to them for like a year already. <laughs> Metalheads will always shit on you yeah. that you're just showing up to the party for something. Shit, I was listening to The Bled before I came to I was like, I haven't listened to The Bled in a long time. It's like, bro, that album's been out for three days. You're so late. Like, Jesus, relax, bro. Just like we were listening on Broken Wings. I was like, dude, I would never fucking, like, those are some of the funnest memories in your shitty car. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you guys, uh, free promo for a band that's no longer a band. On Broken Wings, the song is called Like Star Scream. If you're a metal fan, go listen to it and imagine a four-door, white, small Plymouth Sundance uh, and five band members crowded into this small little car and moshing while I'm driving. Every time we play this song. Can you imagine everybody around us are like, what the fuck is going on in that car? Yeah, we're just riding through I mean, we, a predominantly, I will say, probably not a fan of metal neighborhood is, I guess, the most uh, politically correct way to put it. And we're just riding around blaring metal, you know. That was fun, man. Like, we used to have so much fun. And it was always, every time that song came on. Yeah. Every fucking time, like it was me, you, Richard, and I think I don't know if Chris Street was in there. Sometimes, uh, uh, Eddie and uh, Jeremy, and then Jeremy. Yeah, and it was like every fucking time, dude. That car would be like, how the fuck are these shocks still on this car? <laughs> Just <laughs> throwing things in the car at God, each other. Dude. It's unbelievable. I never had a wreck. Like, <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> no, I, didn't I tell you about that fucking dream? Now you're gonna say that shit. Oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah you fucking moron. The prophecy of Eric's dream. He had a um, dream. I died. So, anyways. uh I do want to talk. Oh, go ahead. I, I have one question that I, I said to myself. I'll let these conversations happen as organically as I can. I'm curious what you think as you know somebody who is involved in all these different things as we've mentioned. What is your, to you, your greatest accomplishment? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, man. Um, I knew this would be a tough one. It is because... <sighs> I think it would probably be the first time we ever, like, um, maybe, like, recorded a CD. Cause oh, I'm, with Among the Fallen? Nah, that was a demo. Well, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, I... Having a physical a copy personal, of a CD. Yeah, I think, a per, like, a personal thing like that would probably be when we recorded the, the EP, the, the Purity and Death. Mm-hmm. Just because it was like, oh, fuck, dude. Like, we actually got, like, a actual, like, booklet... Like a CD case, even though I didn't pay fucking shit for it because piece. I didn't I didn't have a job at that time. Remember, piece. I got laid off. Yeah, so we just foot the bill for this piece of crap. But my riffs are the best. <laughs> but I think it might be that because it's like, um, I ne- I never thought that I was like oh, I'm gonna go record this and you know like have fucking have like a whole like real CD cover and stuff like that and then we had that fucking article and that we're showing our age so hard we had a physical CD bro <laughs> greatest day of my life um <laughs> but I mean I would like to say like yeah fucking going on tour or something like that but yeah then never we were talking about it then of course stupid bullshit um happened um but I think that would probably because it's it, I feel like I think it was maybe like the my highest peak of like of excitement for music where I was like, fuck yes. Yeah. So, like we got the CD recorded. Now we're going to, you know, distribute it and whatever that we made shirts that then we were like, at that time we were talking about going on tour and out West and stuff like that. And I know it was, we were close to, we were even talking with, uh, intent to kill to do that. 
Yeah, I actually was just going through emails, and I had reached out to several of the venues across the mm-hmm. country. I'd reached out to venues in Chicago and St. Louis, uh, Minneapolis, uh, some of the bigger metal scenes at the time. Um, not Minneapolis, Milwaukee. Uh, so some of the places I was putting putting the wheels in motion. And, uh, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, why bands break up and things of that nature. Well, imagine, I mentioned it was intimate. Well, imagine having five girlfriends that you have to please. I don't know. I don't know how you Mormons do it, uh, <laughs> dude. It's it's crazy to keep everybody happy all the time. It's a it's f- blows my mind that a song ever got written, and in any band, it's just crazy because well, you can't please everybody all the time, and it's possible. But we, we have to be honest. Like, there's always a ringleader in the band. Yeah, it do- doesn't have, always have to be a singer. It doesn't always have to be the drummer or whatever. I don't think it was me in our band. It was probably you. Because you invited me into the band, so. yeah. But uh, the only reason that band became what it what it, it was because I answered to a, a, a MySpace ad for, <laughs> for Mike. He yeah, like we well, you know the guitar player. I was like, all right, I answered it. And at that time, I was like, I don't give a fuck. I play with whoever at that time. But then I became real. We're friends with everybody in that band. And then now it's hard for me to to. I always feel like I have to match that. Like I need people, this people, instead of just being like, no, I need I need different personalities to grow on. But I answered that ad, and uh, uh, you know, Chase was writing the music then, then, but he had he had more. I can't, I don't know what kind of style he had. He had a different style than I did, but I wasn't really looking for that. So I was like, I probably do this instead. <laughs> so I kind of it just kind of transitioned to where I took most of the control in the writing of the music, but I, I always. Chase was always like the the master of like, dude, let's harmonize this. Or he always like Chase just to fucking find the harmony on this, or find the, you know, do whatever you want on top of this. You know, it was just mostly me. Like I I, I write most of the music. Like even with the drums, like Mike do this. And, you know, they were like you guys like yeah okay, you like it yeah okay whatever. Um, but I do agree. It, it's it was fucking hard to make everybody happy because it got to the point where one person oh, pff, we we need to move the the music this direction. Then the other guy's like, no, we need to go with this direction. And the other guy's like, I don't give a fuck. Whichever. Yeah. But then, like, um, and the only reason we didn't progress more after the drummer left was because there was friendship involved. Yeah. If it wasn't for that, I guarantee you we would have found uh, a replacement and continue. Because I, I reached out. I'm, we had another, I guess, another friend of them, of theirs, like Chase's and them to to play with us and we were like I say he's such a different drummer um and I we had another I have had like two other people try out and stuff like that and I guess it got to a point where we're like fuck it you know like but I think we would have been we probably would have hit a little bit harder on things if we would have just replaced that person without just being like fuck it but they were so much bullshit afterwards like yeah but luckily I'm still good friends with with Chase because he's the He's a wonderful soul. Yeah, he's the old guitar player for our band, The White Lotus. Uh, we reference all this. Uh, he will be a guest on the podcast. I'm talking, he is now doing music production, uh, and he's doing a great job at it. He's just a, a awesome dude. And uh, we've talked a lot about music, but your most recent uh, artistic endeavor would be writing. So I'd like to talk to you a little bit about that. Um yeah, it's back to the <laughs> intro. That's the butt sound in the whole world. That's a bear being cracked open. 
That's the best sound you hear down here in Louisville, Kentucky. That's the other best sound when you enjoy the first drink of beer. Go ahead with your question. Why? Why do you sound like my cousin? <laughs> I tell you what, boy. I tell you what, we're about to finish this interview right quick. What's your favorite brand of propane? Kirk Kirkland. Kirkland. But yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we getting derailed. Um, so. Talk to me about the process of writing. I, I want to talk to you about that. So what brought this and rekindled this recent development? Well, I just want to get one thing cleared up. You say that I'm a writer, and I don't think I am. Because I don't devote myself to... You've been to, published in a way. Yeah, uh, but so. I don't, it's not like every day I'm like, sit down and type something out. Okay. To, to me, a writer is somebody who's like, every fucking day putting stuff in... The professional... Yeah, but I'm not a professional. Yeah, I think it's the terminology. I mean, you're not a professional writer, no. Um, until you're like a steady income from it, I wouldn't yeah. say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're still a writer. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but well, uh, the last one I did was uh, the Creek Lady. Oh, the, the the lady from the Creek. Uh, you need to get my stories, Dave, straight. Uh, can you do, do that right? Well, the only reason I got that is because you keep calling it the Creek Lady. <laughs> but uh, uh, so I don't know. I think it's because I have this. I've had this idea for the longest time of writing a book about. Um, I, I'm afraid to fucking get this say this idea because I, I have a I have a feeling that somebody will take it. But I'm gonna copyright this shit right now, so this is copyrighted by me. <laughs> I just filed a, a copyright <laughs> for it, uh, but this this short story stemmed off this idea. Um, so I was like, "I'm gonna fuck it. I'm gonna write this story." Two girls, like, one cup. Jesus, I I, I was the guy in that movie. <laughs> I was that guy. Like, oh god. But uh, at first, it was gonna be like a. Uh, I I don't even know if it's a short story. I mean, it's what four fifteen pages, I think. 7,000 something 40 words. 40 minute narration. I don't, yeah, I don't know what a short story. I mean, I guess a short no, story would be anything without chapters. I don't know. So you have, you have levels. You have a short story, then you have what's termed a novella. I guess uh, it'd be a novella. No, it's still not. Like, it's still a short story. Like, um, you see some of the uh, anthology books and things like that put out by uh, Stephen King, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I got a bunch of them collections of scary short stories and things of that nature. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft was a master of the horror short, and uh, they they could be upwards of thirty pages. So I I could Google it. I wish I had a Jamie like uh, Joe Rogan. Yeah, it's a real sneeze, guys. Slow Rogan. I just uh, told Rogan. I just gave the whole neighborhood COVID with one sneeze. That's the uh, how big my nose is. All right. Is. So I mean, the story's already been out. So fuck it. Um. So the, the I had this idea of don't like, give away the end though. Don't do it. I, it's hard not to. But don't. How do you not? You just don't. It pretty much is about a band who loses a drummer and somebody just tips in and takes to take over the spot for that night, but. You know, things fucking take a uh, fucking shitty turn after that. Yeah. Um, who gives a shit? People start dropping like flies. Yeah. It's intrigue well, the, and mystery and suspense. Yeah. One man. It's weird because... when I, One oh desire. For, 
<laughs> fucking over here talking. <laughs> Got the fucking movie promoter over here. God, I'm man. just going to do that voice the rest of the mm-hmm. interview. Tell me, when did you know? <laughs> um, but dude, I really want to just say what it's about. I mean, it doesn't fucking matter at this point. No, if you were in the end, that's like... It, okay, let's just say this, that that when I wrote this, I was not expecting it to be written this way, because I was just kind of like, oh, it's going to be about this, and then I got your feedback, and I was like, all right, well, fuck it, I'll make it this way, then I got somebody else's feedback, and I was like, oh, I'll fucking make it this way, and then I was like, okay, finally, I think I, I've got it, you know, fucking, like, down to the teeth, and I was like, all right, this is a good story. Yeah. You know? Um, and it's, it's, it's like, what I really like about it is, like, the, the main character, I never tell his name. You know, because it's it's a first, it's it's said in a first person. It's not third person or anything like that. So I made I made it clear that I'm never going to reveal the person's name, just all the other characters. And um, but when I wrote it, I didn't I, I wasn't expecting it to be what it is. It's like a I guess it's like a thriller, mystery, drama, whatever. And um, it is kind of a slow burn. I think maybe that's why people didn't really find the interest in it. Maybe they've heard it, listened to like the five. Or the first two minutes are like, oh, what the fuck is this about? You know, it's one of them stories where you have to keep listening. I just think it's one of those things. It's like, I, I keep coming back to this. You know, it's attention spans are short. Yeah. It's just instant gratification culture. You know, you go to TikTok and the longest video you can make is a minute. You know, uh, the majority of what you can do for your Instagram videos is a minute. Unless you're doing like a Instagram TV type thing. Um, or some of the other... Um, providers do longer things in that nature and hell back in the day vine was a thing i mean what were those 10 seconds six seconds six seconds why six seconds that's the weirdest fucking time frame uh there's probably something to do with i'm sure they did a storage of information or something but uh yeah dude attention spans (laughs) just continue to stay short and i think that that's why we're in this renaissance of television as far as like uh, TV shows go and things of that nature, I think breaking it breaking it up in that way where it's you know forty minutes to an hour per episode works better than you know this three hour long opus, you know the the films that come out with uh, Quentin Tarantino. Now, of course, this doesn't apply to everybody. You know, one of the most famous movies on the planet is Gone with the Wind, which is like what almost four. I've hours? never seen that movie. I haven't either. I know it sounds I crazy. I've seen it. parts. It looks boring as fuck to me. Uh, it's not that for me. It was just, uh, it's a love story this long, epic love story. It's, <gasps> yeah, it's it's not something that I was like, oh, I have to go see that. Oh, my God. Count down the days. Yeah. Um, and I'm not shitting on it. I I'm, I know that uh, it's still the top grossing movie if you uh, account for inflation. So, but also... You have to take into account it came out at a time where there was like one movie per three months that would come out. That's crazy how back then it was like, <laughs> fuck, we got to take a year to film this shit. Oh, Especially using longer. like yeah. uh, when the film was, I don't know, how much, I don't know, I'm not a fucking filmer or anything like that, but I kind of imagine how much like film cost back then just to be able to, I, I don't know how long the film was then. I think it was like maybe like 10 feet long I, from what I've fucking watching documentaries from back. Like from, Oh, uh, I don't know how long a your average reel was. Not sure. I had to Google that. But like, yeah, I'm talking about like the early fucking stages of right. it. 
But anyways, speaking of speaking of film, I I have I really do think that this story has potential to be a short film. Oh, agreed. Because it's it's origin it's it's not an original, um, like it's an original idea as far as how uh, it was how how it unfolded. Mm-hmm. Like as far as like um, how. See, I can't, I can't say it without giving away the ending. So, I'll tell you some of the things it reminds me of. Uh, there was a movie called The Watcher with Keanu Reeves back in the day. Uh, no, it's actually good. I'm just laughing because I'm waiting for you to do the... <laughs> what? Well, I am yeah. a serial killer. Whoa. Um, it was totally it. I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, Bill or Ted, whichever one you were. Ted, right? <laughs> but... <you're, yeah. laughs> but uh, it reminds me of something like that. It reminds me of like um, James Patterson, some of the stuff that he did, yeah. like Kiss the Girls and things of that nature, where it's this... I love the Alex Cross um, novels. I've read a good portion of them. It's good, it's good uh, airport fiction. Somebody called that, and I was like, I guess that's fair. It's like something you would pick up on the way to your plane. Like they carry like James. As long as somebody fucking reads it, who gives a fuck? Exactly. Um, but yeah, it reminds me of that. Like it takes a turn similar to that. You know, it leaves you with a little bit of mystery and intrigue. And um, yeah, I think it would make a great movie um, with Lady Gaga. <laughs> I fucking love Lady Gaga. Oh my God. But I, I really do think that. Well, I mean, I did my first narration ever, so it's not the best. I mean, I know I can do better, but it takes, you know, you have to practice at it. Yeah, I know. I wish you'd have taken out the ums. I didn't do any fucking ums. <laughs> I wish I could take the hum of the refrigerator out because I don't have, like, a place to fucking, you know, do it. But it added mystery. It made me feel uneasy. <laughs> but I think like, somebody I mean, changed even, that for Even if you read it, like, if you actually read the physical copy, like, once you get past, you know, like, the the... For the the per, the first three to four minutes, then it's all it's just catch because I still listen to it every now and again, because like every time I listen to it, it's like, and I'm not just saying this because I wrote it, but it really like I I try not to think I wrote this because you know like, uh, but it makes me feel like oh fuck like every time I get to the ending where it reveals the whole thing, I'm like oh fuck like I'm like oh shit you know blah blah, blah. but I think it had to do a lot with how I sprinkled the little details in without mm-hmm. being too, you know, uh, too forward with it. My suggestion. Yeah, you did. <laughs> but see, that's the thing. Like, Do you tell people that first thing? Kind of like your intro. You looked it over. <laughs> but that's the thing. Before I would write something and not give it to anybody to look over, I'm like, oh, this looks good. Yeah. You know, but this time I was like, I really like the story. I really like this idea. I'm going to give it to, to somebody to look it over and suggest or whatever, which... That was me being like, stop, instead of being like, it's my thing. Right. You know, fuck everybody else. I'm, it's my thing. I did this. I don't need somebody to tell me. That would have been the old me, but this, I was like, no, I want to I want to get somebody else's view on it. Somebody else's suggestions or whatever. Um, so I think that's what helped it a lot, too, to be like, I think, like, I like the, you know, like, where you're at. I like the, the base idea for it. But I think if you do it this way, or if you add this, or make, make, it, make the character seem more like this, or whatever... That's why I was like, all right. That's when I started understanding how to do character uh, character development. Because without character development, it's the story is really not interesting. Because you you have to really build up the character, and it doesn't even have to be the main character. 
Like the right. the, like you read the story and heard the story. Mm-hmm. There's no character development in the main character at all. No, because the main character is the narrator, mm-hmm. right? So I make sure that I gave one character a little little bit of development. Well, not everybody can do a, a great Gatsby, which is probably the best example of like where a narration and the narrator um, become so different from what you thought at the beginning, yeah. you know. Um, but you, you're right. A lot of times the supporting the supporting roles are the most important. Uh, when you look at things like um, Stand By Me or you look at and Stevie King is just the genius with this. He tells stories with characters. Uh, he does it I with like that. Me too. I, I think it's it's what makes his story so relatable. That's what I loved about it. Um, the characters in that. He does a great job in the book, minus the thing. Uh, and you say that anybody that's read that book knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's weird. Um, but aside from that, I love it when that happens. The Shawshank Redemption. You get those outlying characters outside of those just main characters uh and then films do that reservoir dogs was fantastic people loved it because it really took it and flipped the script you know uh yeah you probably still could say you have main characters but not as much not at all not really there's not one main character in that movie no and it's perfect it's so great and and this story i mean there is a, a there is and there isn't a main character Right. Only, I mean, if I guess you would say there's a main character, there's a narrator, but it's not about him. No, it's just a, it's just about what he he went through through the through the whole situation or whatever. He's the lens, yeah, by which the story unfolds. But I'm with you. Like I like where the characters are are the ones that are kind of shaping the story for you. It ain't you know, like it's it's easy for me to write it like one character did this all all this or this character. Uh, make sure this this story evolved this certain way. It's easy to write a story like that, but once you get in, like, even if the character's mentioned, like, three or four times, you want to make sure that character has a significance in the story somehow. You know, just like this, like, Gene. You know, like the, I guess it would be the antagonist, I don't know. Because he's he's shown as the antagonist, but he's not. Because, you know, it, it leads He still you. is. Yeah, he is one. Yeah, for sure. But it's not, it, he's just, uh, like, even the girlfriend, just, like, the little subtle hints that, you know, like, just her being worried about something, you know, like all right, something with her being worried about it, whatever. Uh, but it's not just the character. I like, I like, it, if you add little details, like my brother said, he's like, oh, once, once the earring got introduced, I was like, all right, something's going on with that, you know. But then you don't hear about it until it needs to be heard again. Like, I, I, I just like when you add something so subtle. That you think about it, but then you completely forget about it until it gets brought up again. You're like, oh, that's why it was mentioned. Right. You know what I mean? It's kind of like uh, M. Light Shyamalan Lama's movies. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like his movies where it's like the most subtle thing ever that you either notice it or you don't. Then when you get, when if you're a good uh, visual reader, like in movies and stuff, where you can pick up little hints and stuff and then then you tie it all together when it, at, the, at that moment. That's the kind of thing that I like where you're like, oh, fuck. Okay, I remember that. Like, even if you see something... Because most people in movies don't pay attention to the background. Like, if you start paying attention to the background, it gives away shit so much. Oh, yeah. A lot. You know, like, even, like... Like, I've seen so many... Like, me and you have watched so many movies where you can... Just by a single, like, camera shot... Oh, yeah. Like, oh, oh that, that, that shot's giving away something. That's you know kind what of, I mean? That was kind of my, my, uh, my issue with 
uh, Shutter Island. And don't get it twisted. Martin Scorsese, <clears throat> absolute genius. One of my favorite filmmakers ever. Uh, and it's still a good movie. It's still one of my uh, my favorite performances. Uh, I think that Leonardo DiCaprio might have got shafted on that film, too. Um, but there was a scene early in that film, and fuck spoilers, because that movie's been out for like <laughs> 12 years, now, 10, 10, 10, 12 years. And uh, there's a scene, of course, Leo at the end, he's in an asylum. And the entire time, you know, you, you see this film unfold as though he's there to unravel this mystery at Shutter Island, as it's coined, which is basically a people a place for people that are mentally unstable. And all the while, he is mentally unstable, and he's actually a patient at the hospital. Where there's a scene early on in the film with uh, Ben Kingsley and Leo DiCaprio in this, like, study office. Uh, and Ben Kingsley is the one that oversees the hospital. Well, there was a series of camera angles that uh, Scorsese used, and unfortunately for me, it was too much, and it it gave it away for me. So like yeah. he's like zooming in on the pill bottle because DiCaprio says he has a headache, and then Kingsley really hits the line hard. I think it's something to the effect, um, "Are you sure?" Or something to that effect. He's like, "Are you sure well, that that's you're just having- bad script writing right there?" I don't even want to say that to me. And it might not have uh, been resonated that way with other people. They might not have, it might not have been too much of a giveaway. May I've seen too many damn movies. Um, but to me, it just gave it away. And so it's, it's tough to let those things unfold, to give those little, those little beats and those little nods as you let the story unfold. I think in night Shyamalan, when he does it well, uh, in yeah. Night Shyamalan of a Ding Dong. Uh, <laughs> Six, Sense. It, Six Sense was a perfect example. It's perfect. Yeah, It's a perfect movie. Because I didn't even know that Bruce Willis wore the same... Like, until you pointed out not so long ago that yeah. he wore the same clothes he did the night he got killed. I never even fucking noticed that. Yep. Like, you know, he wore the same clothes he did every shot the day he got killed. Uh-huh. I so never noticed that until he said He had the overcoat. Yeah. He had the suit and tie that he wore. That is, that is, that is uh, a good example of good filmmaking right there where you're like, all right, I'm going to fucking really mislead these people. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, like it took me, I think twice to, to, or two times to watch a movie to really understand it. Right. And you know, like, like I loved, like one of my favorite all time movies is The Village. Like I fucking love that movie. And a lot of people are like, I fucking hate that movie. I'm like, why? Like whole time you like, yeah, they're, they're revealing it. It's just a town in this modern world. Whatever. But at the same time, there's a plane that you can hear in one of the scenes. You go back and you hear it. And he's giving you clues. Exactly. Like, there's no way he missed that. But the whole time you were thinking, I was like, all right, this is this like Amish kind of town. Right. That is being haunted. They can't leave because of, you know, whatever creatures. It's like, that's that's your whole mentality, though. Like, every time you, you know, watch that movie, or like the first time you watch a movie, that's what you get. Mm-hmm. But then, like, the big reveal is like, oh, wait a minute. There's, they, they could have left this whole time. It was all fake. Yeah. But it's like, dude, that's the whole point. It's like, it's it's putting you in this whole fucking mindset. It's like, yeah, dude, that's fucked up. Like, they, these two, these this town people are fucking, like, being tortured. Or not tortured, but tormented by these weird-ass creatures that you never really get a glimpse of besides these, like, claws and this red hood or whatever. Yeah. Like, I, I really fucking, I love that fucking movie, dude. It's it's visually, it's beautiful. Oh, it's And, like, it's, it's such a great, great fucking idea, too. Yeah, in my opinion. It's, it's, it was unique. I think he... You know, he genre bends. And I think that that's what people were upset about. Uh, and for me, it, it took me two, two viewings of that film to appreciate. I will say that. Because it... 
Oh. Uh, but the trailer built it up to be this monster movie. Uh, and I think a lot of that same... Um, I had several friends that uh, bashed this film as well. Crimson Peak, uh, Guillermo del Toro. And a lot of people thought it was going to be a ghost story. Because that's what you see in the trailer. But it ends up becoming this uh, gothic romance. Which I'm a big fan of. Uh, you know, I have an English degree. So I have a certain fondness for... Um, British literature and things of that nature. And I really enjoy those Gothic romance stories. Um, So I think it's about expectation, you know, because a lot of his films will build expectation, but getting back to like the story that you're telling is, I don't know that it ever establishes too much expectation. So I think it, and that was the thing that I, I told you to go back and revisit because you were making it so clear. Uh, well, it was because I was like, it's a short story. That's that's right. how I was going to start it for verses. Like, oh, it's, it's straight to the point, whatever. Right. But then you were like, no, thank you, you know, this, you know, make it this way. And I was like, okay, I'll just make it where it's like, nobody knows. Right. I mean, I'm sure somebody may be like, oh, you know, what's going to happen after reading, you know, oh, like yeah. the first two pages or whatever. But to me, it's like the, uh, sorry. <laughs> I think it's, I think the reason I think it's because it's an original idea of how, the the mur- the the murder happens, you know what I mean? Like how what the reason behind it? Yeah, you know, and I think that's why I'm like this will make a good fucking film because it's it's never been done. At least that I, to my knowledge, has never been done. Like not not this this uh, this this idea. Right. There's you know? elements of other, plenty of other yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always going to be elements of other things. You're never going to be a person be like, I'm going to come up with a whole new way of a story telling Not a story. Now. Yeah. You know? I mean, it did with Game of Thrones where they fucked that up, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I really, I really do think. But yeah, dude, I think. I think people should. I mean, this is just me because I think it's a great story. But people are like, "This is bullshit, whatever." But uh, it's attention span. You know, the people look at it at forty minutes. Yeah. Who the hell does he think he is? Tokyo. <laughs> By God. Maybe I should have broken up the different parts, but it's not a type of story you can break into parts. I mean, it has its its beginning, its its middle, its end. Like you know the. The you know has the start of the build up and the climax and then like you know all that bullshit. Yeah, it's supposed to be in stories. You're taking but, me back to school, bro. Yeah, we start with the exposition. We have to throw the <laughs> the what and the how, the where, <laughs> the, the who. The was it the five W's or something? like yeah, that? Yeah, the who, the who, what, where, why, and when. Yeah, but and then we got to have the rising action before we can get to the climax. And my students are always like, well, what is a climax, Mr. Morris? And I'm like, well, it's, <laughs> it's when a girl jizzes in her pants. That's right. It's when she's like, ah. ah. <laughs> but I will tell you this, because um, I know we're running long on this. That's what she said. <laughs> um, I was in the room, it counts. I, I do like stories that make you, make you, make you, make, what's a, what's a mule? Um, I don't know. A mule? Make a mule. Where... I like not just like books or anything, but like or even with films where they give you that that empty feeling of like like when I see a movie where it's like it's a wide shot and a person's like in miserable in in the open area where uh, you just you you feel like helpless, 
Mm. Because you're like, all right, I'm in this open field. I'm terrified. I have nowhere to go. I mean, you have directions to go, but it's still you still don't have nowhere to go because there's nowhere you can hide. You, there's n- nothing that can help you around there. You know what I mean? Like, the, whatever the situation may be. I, I like stories that make me feel like where I'm just... Com- it makes you feel empty and and helpless. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it, I, it gives you, like... Uh, I think that's why I like a lot of the, the 70s horror mo- movies because it's, like, the way they're shot. And I've brought this up to you when I watched... Um, what's that movie that I watched recently you told me to watch? I'll send you a screen, uh, screenshot of the of the movie. Oh, uh, hereditary. Yes, the part where he's in the in the classroom, and he starts fucking banging his head on the desk, yeah. and and it's just like that's what I love. Like I love the the, the twisted, uh, just a simple twist of the face, like with a, a, a good camera angle. Not I, like I, I'm not a big fan of uh, special effects makeup art uh, makeup. I like movies that with a, a shot like that or any like a wide shot of somebody just. Being helpless in a field or whatever, I like that feeling of like helplessness and fear, and like, like, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like, um, <laughs> you can edit that out later. Yeah, I guess dread is what I'm looking for. Like, I like that dread Impending feeling. Doom. Yeah, like. Like and I think a lot of it has to come with come with having anxiety, you know. Like, like I know how it feels to be anxious, like really feel anxious and then be going into a panic attack, whatever. So like I love that fucking feeling because it's just I think I think that's why I love Breaking Bad so much because it was all the like pretty much all the shots were like that. It was like dread almost because you want you you want you dreaded for him to die pretty much. Like you yeah. dreaded for something to happen. And, I, and they that, did a lot of shots like that, where it was just the the trailer and the desert. And they would do the yeah. do these wide shots, showing that to, at, at the early stages, it basically represented for me. It represented those um, those shots represented um, no other way out. Yeah, you it's kind of kind of like that. to me. That's how I get this this the feeling on this story, where you're just kind of like I think it's maybe because. The way the end comes together, where you're just kind of like, "Oh fuck, dude!" Like, I felt helpless because I could, I could have done something about this if I knew that. Then, yeah, you if know? you'd have just taken those little innocuous clues, just these little things that seemed like nothing, and taken it and you know connected the dots. Yeah. But it's easy, like a lot of times when you're on the outside looking in, you know, a lot of people will say, "What well, was so obvious? All, all the clues were there." You know, and you see it in the day to day when you you find out somebody is a serial killer or something like that. And the people that are are close to that person, oftentimes are the ones that completely miss all the clues. It's your neighbor, uh, it's somebody you work with, and they're like, "He just seemed like the nicest guy," and it's because you're too close to it. If you if you stepped maybe just two steps outside of that and got there on the the periphery of the situation, you would go, "Well, yeah." he did this that was fucking weird and that and that's the beauty of when you can like put yourself close enough in a story and you put yourself next to those characters and then like you talked about bring yourself out give it a more wide scope and say okay well now i can get a greater sense 
uh, movies like Dawn of the Dead, when they end w- with the uh, on the remake, the Zack Snyder version, I loved that they pulled up on the island and they thought this was going to be their saving grace, and then they're just massacred. Yeah, that was on- cool as fuck. It was so dope because yeah. that is complete hopelessness, you know. And that's what the the draw was for Walking Dead, you know. And that they did that a lot on that show. They would do the broad. Uh, shots like at the opening episode when he's on the horse and they would pull out over top of the buildings and show the whole area basically to say, yeah, he's fucked, you know, and that overwhelming sense of dread or that overwhelming sense of, yeah, I like that, dude. It is. I like that. Especially, especially in those old seventies horror movies, dude, like that gritty kind of like, do you're like, you might be think you're good, but you're actually fucked, but it doesn't like really portray that. It's just, it's the way that, I guess the cinematography of it is the last house on the yeah. left. That yeah. rape scene when they pull out wide when they're there in the forest and she's there with just those guys and you know. Oh, they do that shit good in, in <sighs> documentary films too. It's, it's like horrible when it's about a murder case or something and and you know they they make it they make you feel like yeah this is like this person had no hope at all. Yeah, you know I'm like they they're really good at that. Yeah, so I think I think people will really enjoy the story if we're gonna. Stop talking about it, because if I keep talking about it, I'm going to end up giving away the ending. It's true. You're like yeah. uh, you're like a seven year old that knows what you're getting for <laughs> Christmas. I'm like you know what I know you got for Christmas? Shut the fuck up. No. <laughs> yeah. What did, what did I get? Yeah. So, as you know, um, as a you know, really the backbone of this whole podcast with that theme song. Uh, (laughs) you know how these things go so I like to end this with uh, inspirations and you having so many different things that you like um, who are maybe some of the people that have influenced you um, talent wise what happened in your life maybe that influenced you to do any number of things Uh, this can go any number of ways Uh, your inspirations you there's no real wrong way to, to tell it well I mean um, I don't know. Honestly, that's a really, really hard question for me to answer because it's not like I had somebody who's who I looked up to, like to do anything. Uh, as far as this, um, the creative and end of things. Um, that is an interesting point. Like your dad didn't really do this. Your mom, your brothers don't really do any of this. Like you kind of you're a trailblazer I, in a way as yeah, far I as like your family did it on my own. Um, so, I guess if we're talking about on the music side of things, I will have to say my cousin Hector from California. Oh, that's true. Because uh, he he's uh, I would call him on the phone all the time. Like when I was like, oh, let's check out this Blink riff that I wrote. Because we were both big Blink One Eight Two fans. Or he would like I would call him and be like, hey man, like what does this do? Or like what's this? Uh, what is this technique on the guitar? Or what's this string? Or whatever. And you know, it was pretty much like that so it was before youtube we could just look up anything <laughs> i would just want. call up on the phone and charge my dad's phone bill you know <laughs> what who's been calling california are you crazy i don't know what ag- accent that was but <laughs> definitely wasn't a fucking spanish accent <laughs> um but i think with writing dude i don't i don't know i think it just came about i think in high school i do remember having a teacher called miss mellet she was an awesome fucking english teacher and uh, I wish I would have kept in touch with her because she paid for my cap and gown in high school. She was awesome. She always pushed me to do whatever I wanted as far as like writing and stuff. Then I had another English teacher. I think it was in uh, uh, 12 year. 
senior in high school, uh, Mr. Eccles. He was he was a young teacher, English teacher. He was cool, and um, I always told him I was like, oh, I want to write a short story about this. He's like, do it. You know, like he he was never like, oh, you need to just write this. Right. He was just like, do it, do it, whatever. Um, but I think overall, man, like uh, I think it's just mostly like from bands and guitar players and you know whatever i know you've always you've always pushed me to do whatever so i guess i have to say you're one of my influencers no but that's true like you've always um always you always got on me when i put myself down Yeah. always you were always like dude why do you do that what do you do that not just with music just in life in general um so i would have to say you're probably one of the biggest ones um so I guess in other words, I want to say I love you. <laughs> but uh, any anybody like on a you know you talked about Blink One Eighty Two being a musical influence. Uh, is there somebody like um, in the artistic uh, in the artistic realm that also inspired you? Like as far as uh, visual artists, or I know you have some favorite authors. Who are some of those people? Uh, well, one of them is Stephen King and James Patterson. I I, I enjoy Dan Brown. I like his uh, his thrillers. Um, I think Deception Point's probably one of his best books. Yeah. And well, I I became a big fan of him. I think when everybody else did with uh, uh, Da Vinci Code, when he really blew up. You know, like he was like, "Oh, I'm Dan Brown. I wrote Da Vinci Code. I know everything about religion." Right, and it's probably his least compelling novel. In but my see, opinion. there's I, 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 not to me. I think it's because it was that that like. I think it's where it brought up quite, people started questioning a lot of shit about their own beliefs. I think that's what that book really brought. Yeah, because I mean, people <clears throat> like conspiracies, so yeah, you know. I think as far as a movement's concerned, it was yeah huge. Uh, but I, you know, like I said, I, I love Deception Point. The Lost Symbol was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, I mean, he's just Tom amazing. Hanks could have done better, in my opinion. Yeah, I just felt God like damn Tom Hanks. How you gonna do Tom Hanks in uh, fucking Forrest Gump? <laughs> Yeah. I didn't like Tom Hanks cast as that. He was because, too old, I think. Yeah, because Robert Langdon to me was somebody who should have been sexy. Like, and I'm sorry. I mean, I like you, Tom. Who, who would you pick? Uh, I mean, if I'm cat like now, of course, I think this would have been a little bit before his time. But I think Alexander Skarsgård would have been amazing. Fucking weird. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> dude. He would have been so yeah, good, dude. I think. But I think I don't know. He's too lanky. Well, he was a swimmer. If you remember, Robert yeah, Langdon was a, 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 and he has that swimmer body. Alexander Skarsgård, he's tall and he's, he's very uh, fit. It just feels like, because I want to say Ryan Gosling would have been good mm. too, but I don't know. There's something that I don't, and I don't mean this as a dig. A young Harrison Ford would have been the most perfect yeah, casting, yeah. Um, but you know that's time machine and all that stuff. But no, nah, I think I think Walking Phoenix would have done the better job. See, I don't I think, even say that because I think he's the greatest actor of all time. He's pretty good, man, but I don't know. Like, he doesn't hit me as that like suave, yeah. debonair, professorial type character. Where I think Skarsgård could have really nailed that. Oh, uh, maybe Daniel Craig would have done a better job too. Daniel Craig would have been good, yeah. uh, but he he's okay at doing an American accent only because there's he a, had to have an American because he was yeah. an American professor. Um, Hugh Jackman would have been okay. He's too nice, though. I don't know. There's something Anyways, too wholesome. Sorry. We're getting off. <laughs> but, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think I what's his, I always mispronounce his last name, so I'm sorry. Chuck Polinick. Yes, I knew exactly where we were going. He's with. the reason why I started sort writing stories again because it's uh, I feel like his style of writing is close to mine, where it's like uh, it's not it's descriptive in a certain way, mm-hmm. and it's just like the characters characters talk like they should talk. Like I like natural conversations, like in my story, where it's like I'm not gonna sit there and make one person talk like a fucking robot, uh, like the wordings and stuff like that. Like yeah. if I'm gonna. Like, to me, like, when I talk to my friends, I'm like, hey, man, what's up, dude? Yeah. Like, that's how I want my characters to talk. I don't want to be like, how are you doing today? I hope you've had a good day. Like, you know what I mean? Like, certain books like that. Right. I'm like, no, I want the characters to talk to, like, a natural flow, like a natural conversation. And even in the narration, I started, I tried to do that, but it was hard because I was making different voices. Right. So, when you try to do different voices, you can't really roll that conversation until you get really good at it. Um, But, yeah, I mean... I think as far as for writing that goes and music, I mean, Blink-182 was one of the biggest reasons why I started playing guitar um, and for writing as those writers. As far as like art and stuff goes, I would say a lot of it will probably have to do uh, like the the Mexican art because it's very, very colorful and uh, it's it's very bold. Um so yeah, I think that's pretty much it, man. Like like I said, I don't really have many people to really be like, yeah, this person did that or that, and I think it was just most of me just doing it on my own. Yeah, um, and, and I think that's what uh, sometimes it can be problematic when you have too many people that are pushing you. Uh, you end up with influence, like you end up wearing their influence within whatever you're doing, and sometimes that can be problematic when you idolize somebody so much. Sometimes it's hard to find your own way of doing things uh you see that with all types of different things you know musicians sound just like other people uh bruno mars as talented as he is sometimes you know it does bleed into his obvious influences of like prince and michael jackson and you're like well that sounds just like that Mm -hmm. and it's okay it's gonna happen uh it is the greatest compliment you could give that artist especially with somebody as talented as he is but um so yeah it could be a, a blessing and a curse I think if I were to be like an actor, I think I would probably look up to like a uh, Joaquin Phoenix, <coughs> uh, DiCaprio. Oh yeah, and Tom Hanks. Those are my top three favorite actors of all time. Good choices. Yeah, because Tom Hanks is, um, I think his funniest to me and ever was in Money Pit. <laughs> that You're fucking movie is hilarious as fuck to me, dude. Because he's so dry. His rea- exactly, dude. That's I think that's I, I think that's how my humor is a little bit. Is very dry and sarcastic. Yeah. And the part in the movie where the bathtub falls to the floor, <laughs> and he's just kind of like, looks at it, and he's like, "Well, I'm fucked," and he just starts <laughs> fucking laughing. I'm like, dude, that is I like I, I literally every time I watch that movie, I fucking re- I skip back and watch it at least three times, and I. Uh, I would have to add Gene Wilder to it too. Oh, of course, because his he's a natural reactor. Yeah, like he just reacts naturally to everything. He doesn't think about it. That's why all his lines are delivered so fucking. Even in Willy Wonka, where, yeah, when the, the mom of Augustus Gloop is like, "Help, help!" He's like, "Help, murder, police, or whatever he says." I'm <laughs> like, that is the funniest thing ever. Is like he's like, I don't. Well, there's nothing I can do about it. He's already fucked. Yeah, but let me make this sarcastic ass fucking line for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like the way he just reacts to it. So, but yeah. Well, I appreciate your time, brother. Uh, I know we've been trying to uh, put out something that I think represents you, and I, the element of us being together in a physical space made this so much better. And uh, 
appreciate you taking the time and hopefully uh individuals will go check out it's the cat and the hummingbird right yeah it's on it's on my it's on my personal facebook i don't know if i'm gonna do a platform for it if i write it i'm working i'm trying to work on another one if i do another narration then maybe i consider doing a platform but and your youtube channel is what <sighs> just look up <laughs> just look up my name eric chavez it should pop up okay anything else you want I'm right now. I'm in the works of talking of doing a funk band, funk band with my uh, recently made friend Sean Evans, who's an incredible drummer. So maybe that will come about soon, hopefully. Um, But that's pretty much it, man. Right on. Just hanging out with my cat and drinking on the weekends. It's perfect. Uh, Well, oh, and real quick, if anybody's single out there, (laughs) I'm your man. He refuses to use the dating apps, so this is yeah. his one call. You, you're going to put this in your podcast. I don't do dating apps. Okay. I'm a physical man. Oh, he's physical. To woman <laughs> confrontation <laughs> in this public. turned into the <laughs> oddest podcast. All right, man. All right, well, man. Thank you. Thanks for your time, brother. Yeah.